distractions that come from the week and just being tired from work and all of that. But I pray you'd help everyone here to just be able to focus, to not be distracted, to be able to just listen to your word. Lord, help me as I attempt to preach your Bible. Help me to uh, not take the time that I don't need, but Father, just to say the things you'd have me to say and to uh, be able to help the people to understand the scripture, this passage tonight, as we study your Bible. There's nothing more important we can do than studying your word. We love you, Father. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Alright, well we're there in Acts chapter number 23. And I want you to very quickly go back to just the last verse of chapter 22 so you can understand the context from last week. It says on the morrow, because he would have known the certainty where... For he was accused of the Jews, he loosed him from his bands and commanded the chief priests and all their council to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. If you've been with us on Wednesday nights or if you just remember from the story, uh, Paul decided he wanted to go to Jerusalem even though that God warned him through prophets and different things uh, on more than one occasion that he should not go to Jerusalem, that it was wrong for him to go to Jerusalem. Paul decided to go there anyway uh, because he wanted to preach the gospel to the Jews and he went there and ended up getting himself in trouble and he ended up uh, getting uh, attacked by the Jews. They almost killed him. A mob almost killed him. And if you remember the chief captain of the, of the Roman soldiers there uh, came in and swept in and rescued him and locked him up in the castle and they had him in prison there, but really they had him protected from the Jews who were trying to kill him. And if you remember, he got a chance to speak to them and they didn't like what he had to say. But now the chief captain has decided that he doesn't really know, if you remember the chief captain was going to beat Paul and they were going to beat him until Paul told them what he did wrong and then Paul told them, hey, I'm a Roman um, you know, and I'm not condemned and I've got rights and you can't do this. And then he backed off and said, oh, that's true. So in verse 30 of chapter 22, it says on the morrow because he would have known uh, the certainty whereof he was accused of the Jews he loosed him from his bands and commanded the chief priests and all their council to appear and brought Paul down to set him before them so what he did was he took he, he kind of just released uh, Paul there took him down to the council of the Jews so he put the Jew, he put Paul in the in the, in in a trial where the Jews were trying him because the chief captain wanted to know exactly what it was that Paul did that these people were so mad about and that's where verse 23 or uh, chapter 23 uh, uh, takes place, and we begin chapter 23 at this trial. Paul is on trial before the Jews. Now, there will be other times when Paul is on trial before the Romans, but right now, Paul is on trial before the Jews. Now, the Romans control this area, so the Romans really are in control of the society, but they're allowed, you know, they would allow the nations that they took over a certain amount of authority, so they're allowing them to have this court uh, trial here with the Jews. And if you look at verse number one of chapter 23, Paul says, the Bible says, And Paul, earnestly beholding the council, said, Men and brethren, and look what he says, very powerful statement. He says, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And that's a great statement by the Apostle Paul, and something that uh, I think would be very tough for all of us to say. But he said, I have lived with all good conscience before God. He said, until then. Now, he wasn't, saying I'm, he wasn't saying I'm perfect. He wasn't saying I'm without sin. But he says, I'm living with all good conscience. And you know, very quickly, I'd like you to just see, this is a common theme with the Apostle Paul. If you go with me to 1 Timothy, uh, there in your New Testament, 1 Timothy chapter number 1. If you look at verse number 5, 1 Timothy chapter number 1. Verse 5, Paul 
training Timothy, says to him, 1 Timothy chapter number 5 says, Now the end of the commandment is charity. Out of a pure heart, notice what he says, and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. Paul told Timothy, the end of the commandment, he said, you know, the, the whole purpose of the, of the commandment and the end of the commandment is this, charity. He said, you ought to have charity in your life. And you ought to do it not because of what men see or what, you know, for any other reason. He says, out of a pure heart. And then he says, and of a good conscience. He said, you ought to have a good conscience and a faith unfeigned. If you go to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter number 13. There, just go past the book of First uh, and Second Timothy, Titus. And then you've got Hebrews. Hebrews chapter number 13, and I would advise you, if you've got a bulletin or a bookmark or a ribbon in your Bible, I'd advise you to keep uh, your place there in Hebrews, because we're going to be coming back to Hebrews quite a bit tonight. Hebrews chapter number 13, look at verse number 18. Hebrews 13, 18. Now we're told that we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. I personally believe the Apostle Paul was the one, we know that God wrote it, but we, that I believe the Apostle Paul is the one who penned the book of Hebrews. And in Hebrews 13, 18, the Bible says, pray for us. For we trust we have a good conscience and all things willing to live honestly. The Bible says we trust we have a good conscience. And uh, keep your place there in Hebrews because we're coming back to it. But go with me to 1 Peter. So go even more towards the end of your New Testament. 1 Peter chapter number 3. Look at verse number 15. 1 Peter chapter number 3. Look at verse number 15. The Bible says this. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always... To give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And by the way, that's why at Verity Baptist Church we push so much Bible reading. That's why at Verity Baptist Church we push nine chapters a day in the month of January. And we push, you know, reading your Bible and being in the Scriptures and memorizing the Bible. Because the Bible says in verse 15, I don't want you to miss that, that's not why we're there. But in verse 15, it says, Back to, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. The Bible says there's a hope in you. If you're saved, you've got a hope for salvation. And anyone who asks you a question about that hope, you ought to be ready and prepared to be able to give them an answer for that hope. You know, I believe that when people ask those questions about the Bible, we ought to know the Bible enough to give them an answer. Now look, if you're a new Christian, we understand that, you know, new Christians. But, but there comes a, a place in Christian maturity where you ought to read the Bible and be in enough church services and be under enough preaching where you can give an answer for what you know and be able to tell people, here's why I believe and here's why. And the wrong answer is because the pastor said it. That's the wrong answer. The right answer is because the Bible says it and you show it to them. That's what the Bible says. Look at verse 16 though. It says, Having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you, as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. Now I want you to understand, First Peter, he's talking about us dealing with the unsaved world. He's talking about us dealing with unbelievers. And he says, look, you've got to sanctify, verse 15, you've got to sanctify the Lord God in your heart. And he said, you've got to be ready to give, always to give an answer to every man that asks you. He said, you're dealing with the unbeliever there, and you've got to be ready to give them an answer for every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. He said, do it with meekness and fear. But he said, also, if you're going to deal with the unbeliever, you've got to, verse 16, having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil, he said, they're going to speak evil of you as evildoers. But he said, you ought to have a good conscience. That means you ought to live your life where your conscience isn't being bothered. Because as evildoers, they may be, you know, they're going to speak 
evil of you, but that they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. The word conversation, they're talking about your lifestyle. And that they ought to be ashamed that they're accusing you because of the good lifestyle, the good conversation you have in Christ. You know, Paul here literally found himself on trial for being a Christian, for being a Bible-believing, you know, uh, a Christian, and he stands up and he says, I have lived a good con- in, in a good conscience before God until this day. That's a beautiful statement to be able to say, hey, I know that I haven't done, you know, he's not saying I'm perfect, he's not saying I'm not without sin. I mean, Paul's the one who said in the book of Romans, you know, that which I ought to do, I don't do, and that which I know to do, you know, and, and we understand all that. But, but he said, hey, I've lived with a good conscience. And, and that's where we should be striving. To be able to say, to be able to be on trial and be able to say, I've done nothing wrong. You know, and that's what Paul was saying. He said, I live with good conscience toward men. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs that, uh, that the, 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 man, I, I should have wrote it down because I, I don't have the verse memorized, but it, it talks about, uh, it, it says, the wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are as bold as lions. And you know, when you say, what is that talking about? Well, what it's talking about when, when you're wicked, you know, you got that guilty conscience. You know, no one's pursuing, but you're, you, you're, you run, you know. It's like, you know, you see, it's funny, sometimes we'll go soul winning, and, and I'll be wearing my, my shirt and tie, and my white shirt, and I'll be wearing like dark pants and a, a dark coat or something, and I'll knock on the door, and everybody always says, you lock, lock like a cop. And I'm like, well, I want to make sure they hear me, you know, or whatever. And, I'll knock, and, and you'll, you'll see people scram, scrambling, you know, and they're putting stuff away, and, and then they open the door, and it's like all this, like, you know, smell comes out, you know. And it's like, and you, think, and you say, well, what's the problem? I'm not a, I'm not a law, law officer. I'm just a, a preacher. What are they so scared about? Well, the wicked flee when no man pursue it. They got a guilty conscience. They're doing something they shouldn't be doing. You know, but Paul said, he was on trial, and he said, hey, I have a good conscience before God until this day. What a great statement. What a powerful statement. And we should, you know, uh, that should be our goal right there, to be able to live like that. But, um, you know, he pretty much, he's on trial. He says, I haven't done anything wrong. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I plead not guilty. (laughs) That's what he's saying. He said, I I haven't done anything wrong. I shouldn't be put on trial. Look at verse 2. And the high priest Ananias commanded them that stood by him to smite him on the mouth. So he says, not guilty. And the high priest said, Smite him on the mouth. He said. He, he pointed to them. He said, "Punch him in the mouth." Look at verse three. Then said Paul unto him. So this guy. So this. So you know this person goes. He just hits Paul because he said, "I haven't done anything wrong," and they didn't like that answer. Verse three. Then said Paul unto him. So Paul gets hit in the face, and obviously, like any man, he's probably a little mad about this. And in verse three, the Bible says, "Then said Paul unto him, God shall smite thee, thou whited wall." For sittest thou to judge me after the law and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law? So he's like, he just tells this guy off. He's like, you're supposed to be judging me according to the law and you're telling the guy to break the law? You know, you're not supposed to beat a person that's not condemned. Verse 4, And they that stood by said, Revilest thou thou God's high priest? And in verse 5, I want you to notice carefully Paul's response. Then said Paul, I wish not, brethren, that he was the high priest. For it is written, Thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of, the, of thy people. So Paul tells this guy off, and then they're like, You're talking like that to the high priest? And then he's like, I didn't know he was a high priest. And he pretty much backs off. You know, but you gotta, you got to understand this question. When you're studying the Bible, okay, just because something happens in the Bible doesn't make it right and or wrong. The fact that 
the Bible is true in the sense that this is what happened. But does that necessarily, you know, the statements in the Bible are what tells us right and wrong, truth or not truth. Do you understand what I'm saying? The, the, the statements in the Bible, but whenever we're just being told a story, you know, you can find stories where people are killing people, you can find stories where people are married to multiple wives. You know, just because somebody did something in the Bible doesn't make it right. And Paul here, you know, he backs off after he hears this guy's the high priest, but you got to ask this question, was Paul wrong to, to tell this guy off? And I personally believe that he was, I, I believe that he was in his full right to be able to say to say that man, you know, uh, thy, you know, thou whited wall, for sinners thou to judge me after the law and commandest me to be spent contrary to the law. Now Paul backed off of that statement, but I don't think it was wrong for him to say that. Let me show you why. First of all, the reason he backed off the statement was this, because the man who had, who, who had him hit was the, quote, high priest. But we got to ask this question, was he really the high priest? Well, go with me to, uh, let's see, where do we want to go? Go with me to Hebrews. I told you to keep your place there in Hebrews, right? Hebrews chapter number 3. And we're going to be coming back to Hebrews even after this, so keep your place there. Hebrews chapter number 3. Now, in the Old Testament, there was a position of the priesthood named the high priest. But the book of Acts is written after the Gospels. It's written after the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Hebrews chapter number 3, if you look at verse number 1, I'd like you to see what the Bible says. The Bible says, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession. Who are they talking about? Look what it says. Christ Jesus. Do you see that? The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the high priest. See, everything in the Old Testament is a foreshadow, is a picture of the New Testament. And in the Old Testament, they had the Lamb, which represented Jesus Christ. But they also had the high priest, which represented the Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ, when He was on the cross, He was playing the part of the Lamb. But after He died and He resurrected, and He took His own blood up into the uh, temple, uh, the, the, the sanctuary in heaven, and He walked into the Holy of Holies in heaven, to the, you know, on earth it would be to the Ark of the Covenant, but in heaven it would be to literally God's throne in heaven, and He walked in and He took the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, and He sprinkled it seven times on the mercy seat. He was playing the role of the high priest. And the Bible says that after His resurrection, Jesus Christ is our high priest. You saw there Hebrews 13.1, look at Hebrews 4.14. Look what it says, Hebrews chapter number 4. Look at verse number 14. It says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. You see that? Look at Hebrews chapter number 6. Look at verse number 20. Hebrews chapter number 6. Look at verse number 20. The Bible says this, Whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So we see there, the Bible tells us that the Lord Jesus Christ today is the high priest. You say, who are the priests? Because remember in the Old Testament you had the high priest. And you had a bunch of other priests. Now the priests they were able to make sacrifices. And the priests they were able to, to uh, make you know, uh, petitions and requests. But only the high priest could, could uh, do that special you know, once a year uh, Passover lamb sacrifice for their sins. Read your Old Testament and everything I'm saying will make sense to you. In the New Testament... We have no longer the priesthood of the order of, 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 of Levi, but we've got, and I preached an entire sermons on this, so I don't want to spend too much time on it, but we've got the order of Melchizedek, which was actually before the order of Levi, because you remember, Abraham in the Old Testament paid tithes in, uh, to Melchizedek when Melchizedek, a 
appeared to him in the book of Genesis before the law of Moses, before uh, the, the priesthood of Levi and all that. So Jesus Christ was the high priest from Melchizedek. The Bible says, and I'm not going to take that to show you that because I've, I've done it many times before, but the Bible says that you and I as New Testament believers are kings and priests. The Bible tells us that in the book of Revelation. The Bible talks us that in, in, in 1st and 2nd Peter. It talks about we are a royal priesthood and holy nation. It tells us that we are priests. So today, you know, that's why it says in 1st Timothy, it says that there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. See, in the Old Testament, they needed a priest to go before them and God. They needed a priest to take their Let me show you something very interesting there. John chapter number 18. Do you remember when the Lord Jesus Christ was being judged by the Jews? Before he was crucified? John chapter number 18, look at verse number 19. John chapter number 18, look at verse number 19. It's very interesting. John 18, 19. It's very interesting because almost the exact event took place. In Jesus, when Jesus Christ was being tried by the Jews, as when Paul was being tried by the Jews. And, uh, and it might even be the same high priest. Now, I, I'm not exactly sure about that. The names are similar, but a little different. And then there's other high priests that kind of come into there, so uh, I'm not exactly sure about that. But if you look at uh, uh, John chapter number 18, look at verse number 19, the Bible says this, The high priest then asked Jesus of his disciples and of his doctrine. Jesus answered him, I spake openly to the world. I ever taught in the synagogues and in the temple, whether the Jews always resort, and in secret have I said nothing. Why askest thou me? Ask them which heard me what, have I, what I have said unto them. Behold, they know what I said. And you remember we were talking about last week, that all, all and I don't want to you know, take a lot of time to talk about this, but you remember we were talking about all our laws in the United States of America came from the Bible. And from this example is where the, the founding fathers got the law, the, the, the Fifth Amendment, you know, where you, you should not, you, know, you, you don't have to incriminate yourself. And Jesus Christ was saying, hey, I'm on trial because of what I said. Why are you asking me what I said? I thought that's what I'm trial for. I'm on trial for. He said, if I said something wrong, why don't you ask all the people? And if you remember, if you read the Gospels, you know, which hopefully you have been doing, nine chapters a day, you know, then you, you, you'll notice that the problem they had with the testimonies is that none of them matched up. None of the witnesses could get their story straight. Verse 21, Why askest thou me? Ask them which heard me what I have said unto them. Behold, they know what I said. Look at verse 22. And when he had thus spoken, one of the officers which stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Answerest thou the high priest so? Do you see how that's very similar to what happened to Paul? But look at the difference between Jesus' reaction and Paul's reaction. So verse 23, Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil, but if well, why smitest thou me? Do you see that? So obviously, we understand that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh and He's perfect. We understand that Paul, great Christian, but is still just a human being that makes mistakes. So who, who took the right 
response there? Obviously, Jesus Christ did. You know. So, was Paul wrong? You know, did he have to apologize for calling him a whited wall? No, he wasn't wrong because Jesus didn't back off. When, he, when they smote him and they said, you know, answer thou the high priest? He didn't say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know he was the high priest. He said, hey, if I've spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why smitest thou me? So Jesus right, I believe, Jesus Christ, I believe, took the right stand there and said, hey, you shouldn't hit me. I'm not condemned. You can't even get your story straight. You're trying to get me to incriminate myself. You know? And, and Paul there, I believe he, he made a mistake by, you know, most people will preach that he made a mistake by reviling the high priest. I think he made a mistake by backing off that. I think he should have told them off. You know, and you say, well, he called them names, he called them white and walk. Do you know that Jesus Christ called the same people, the same Pharisees, the same high priest, he called them white and sepulchers, he called them, um, you know, children of the devil, he called them, you know, uh, sons of, 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 the, of vipers, and all sorts of names, you know. Uh, so, uh, I, that's where I stand on that, and I think that if you ever stand before a high priest and he hits you in the face, tell him off. <laughs> And uh, it's not a problem. But look at look at uh, verse number 5. The Bible says, Then said Paul, Acts chapter number 23, look at verse number 5. It says, Then said Paul, I wish not, brethren, that he was a high priest, for it is written, Thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. But when Paul perceived the one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, of the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am called in question. You say, what is going on? Okay, here's what you gotta understand. He's on this. He's in this trial, and Paul looks around and he, and he perceives. The Bible says he realizes there's two factions. There's the Pharisees and there's the Sadducees. Now you gotta understand these are two false religions. They're both wrong, but these religions are anti themselves. Look at verse number 7. It says, And when he had so said, he arose uh, a dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the multitude was divided. You say, well, why is it? Look at verse number 8, and you'll understand what's going on. For the Sadducees say, so this religion of the Sadducees, they say that there is no resurrection, neither angel nor spirits, but the Pharisees confess both. Do you see that? So the Pharisees are a false religion. They believe in miracles. They believe in angels. They believe in the resurrection. They believe in, you know, they, they've got some stuff right. But they also believe in work salvation, which is wrong, obviously. But the Sadducees, they don't believe in angels. They don't believe in, in spirits. They don't believe in the resurrection. They don't believe anyone's going to get resurrected. They don't believe Jesus could have been resurrected. You know, honestly, the Sadducees today are like the United Methodists. The United Methodists deny the virgin birth. They deny miracles in the Bible. They deny angels. They, they deny, they say, you know. And that's really what these people are, the Sadducees and Pharisees. So Paul, if you remember, Saul, Paul, before he was saved, was Saul, who was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He understood this. So Paul, you know, he, he decides to kind of play a game. He's going to divide and conquer. And he decides, you know, I'm going to put these two groups against each other. So if they're mad at each other, then they won't be mad at me. <laughs> and, he, and he stands up in verse 6. He says, but when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council. He just stands up and he begins to yell. This. He says, men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. And by the way, that's true. He was a Pharisee and he was a son of a Pharisee. He says, of the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am called in question. And by the way, that was true. Because what was he preaching? The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That there was hope and salvation. He said, you know, you know, and he's kind of playing with words a little bit. But he's saying, hey, you know, the only reason I'm on trial is because I'm preaching. 
Verse 7, And when he had so said, there arose a dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the multitude was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. And there arose a great cry, and the scribes that were of the Pharisees' part arose and strove, saying, We find no evil in this man. So now like the Pharisees are the Pharisees, they're like, there's nothing wrong with him. He says, but if a spirit or an angel had spoken to him, let, him not, let us not fight against God. You know how they're defending, defending him now. And look, because he told them Jesus appeared to them. And they're like, look, the spirit and angel appeared to them. We shouldn't fight against God. He didn't do anything wrong. Verse 10. And when there arose a great dissension, the chief captain, fearing lest Paul should have seen, or should have been pulled in pieces of them, commanded the soldiers to go down and, and to take him by force from among them and to bring him into the castle. So the, the Roman soldiers there, they're watching this whole thing. They're not taking a part in it, but they're watching it. They watch this whole thing happen. They're literally pulling Paul. I mean, the Sadducees got him by an arm and a leg, and the Pharisees got him by an arm, and they're pulling him apart. They're fighting. There's nothing wrong with him. He's one of us. He believes right. And they're, they're going to pull him apart. So the chief captain walks in, rescues him again, takes him out, and takes him out. But I want you to notice something, okay? That's the story, but I want you to notice verse number 8. And I, hopefully I can do this quickly, because I don't want to spend too much time on this. But in verse 8, the Bible says, For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, neither angels nor spirits. But the Pharisees confess, I want you to notice the next word, both. Do you see that? Now, both means two. You understand that? But look at the list that we're given. It says, the Sadducees say that there is no, number one, resurrection, neither, number two, angels, nor, number three, spirit. But the Pharisees confess both. So why does it tell us they confess both when there's three options there? Here's what I want you to understand. Angel and spirits are the same thing. Now, most people don't understand this, but an angel and a spirit is the exact same thing. And you say, Pastor Jimenez, why, why are you talking about this? You know, I was tempted to just kind of move on, but I... I, I and the only reason that this makes a difference is because there's false doctrines out there that teach, and I'm going to have to start from the beginning, and you're just going to have to go with me. I preached entire sermons on this before, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. There's a false doctrine out there called the doctrine of, par- of, of, of paradise. Where people believe that in the Old Testament, New Testament believe your Old Testament saints, believers, when they died, they wouldn't go straight to heaven, even though the Bible says they went straight to heaven, even though the Bible tells us that Enoch was not and you know and and went to be with God, even though the Bible tells us Elijah was caught up to heaven, you know, even though the Bible tells us all that. Um, in the Old Testament, they believe that there's people who will say, well, in the Old Testament, when believers died, they didn't go to heaven; they went to this place called. Or they call it Abraham's bosom. And they get this doctrine from Luke 16 and, and all sorts of different things. And I spent, entire, I, I spent an entire sermon preaching this. I don't want to spend so much time on it. But they'll say, you know, believers in the Old Testament, they went to paradise. They went to Abraham's bosom. They didn't go to heaven. And then the same people will say that Jesus Christ, when he died on, when he died on the cross, and his body was buried for three days and three nights, that his soul did not go to hell, but it went to paradise. And they'll say, paradise is in hell, but it's like the resort in hell. It's like this nice area of hell. Now let me show you a few things, just real quickly. Go with me to Acts chapter number, uh, and this isn't even really in my sermon, but go with me to Acts chapter number 2. Look at verse number 27. Acts chapter number 2, and look at verse number 27. The Bible says this. This is talking about Jesus Christ. And it says, Because thou wilt not, Acts 2.27, Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Do you see that? 
Bible says that his soul was not left in hell, and he did not see corruption talking about his body. Look at uh, uh, Acts chapter number 2, look at verse number 31. It says, He seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ. You see that? We're talking about Christ. That His soul was not left in hell, neither His flesh did see corruption. So the Bible says, Jesus Christ spent three days and three nights, His body spent three days and three nights in the grave, but His body never saw corruption. Do you remember when Lazarus died? He died for four days and they said His body stinketh. Why? Because it started to corrupt. But Jesus' body never saw corruption. But His soul was in hell. And let me tell you something. Jesus had to go to hell to pay for our sins. If you believe that Jesus just died and that was it and, he, and then He went for you know three days vacation in paradise. Look, the wages of sin is, is death. Not physical death. Do you understand that even believers die physical deaths? And they go to heaven and then God will one day resurrect that body and make it incorruptible? I'm not trying to get saved from a physical death. I probably will die a physical death. I'm trying to get saved from hell. Because the wages of sin is punishment I'm trying to get away from. And that's what the Bible says. Period. Acts 2 says he went to hell. That should be end of argument right there, but it's not. Well, people will say, well, in the Old Testament people went to heaven. Uh, the Old Testament says they didn't go to heaven. They went to paradise. And even though Enoch tells us went with God, and even though Elijah uh, went to heaven, they'll say they didn't go to heaven. They went to paradise. But here's the problem. The Bible tells us in the Old Testament that the sons of God you say, what are you talking about? Uh, in, in the book of Job, the Bible tells us that the sons of God appeared before God and that the devil came with them. And then, you know, God and the devil had the conversation about Job. So you say, well, what do you do with, the, you know, these paradise people? They got a problem there because the sons of God aren't in heaven in the Old Testament. So why do the sons of God? So here's what they'll say. They'll say, well, the sons of God in the Old Testament, those are angels. Those aren't believers. And then in Genesis, go with me real quickly to Genesis chapter number two, uh, chapter number six. And I know I'm kind of getting off on a tangent, but I want you to understand this. Genesis chapter number six. Look at verse number. Well, let's just begin reading in verse one. The Bible says this, And it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, that daughters were born unto them, and the, look what it says, sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the, and the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be in hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also uh, after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, and the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. So people will let their imaginations carry them away, and they'll say, see, even in Genesis chapter 6, there when it says the sons of God, it's not talking about the, the sons of God like you and I are the sons of God, it's talking about angels. And it says these angels, you know, and I think people are just reading too many comic books. Because they'll say, the angels came down. And verse 2, And the sons of God, which are actually angels, saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives. I want you to make note of that. They took them wives of all which they chose, and, and then they started having children, and then they had these, these giants. And they'll, say, and they'll say, this is where the Greek mythology dragons and Hercules and all this came from. It's actually angels. That's such a bunch of trash. Because, and let me just prove to you why that's not so. Why there is no paradise. Why every believer has always gone to heaven when they die. Go with me to Hebrews. 
Hebrews chapter number. Let's go to Hebrews chapter number 1. Hebrews chapter number 1. So did you notice how it said, they say that the sons of God in the Old Testament are actually angels. They're not the sons of God like you and I are the sons of God, they're angels. And in Genesis chapter number 6, they said that the sons of God, which are actually angels, came down to earth and they saw the daughters of men that they were fair and they took them wives and had children. And they say, those aren't the sons of God like you and I, those are angels. Well, look at Hebrews chapter number 1, look at verse number 5, look what it says. Hebrews 1, 5. This is God's talking. Look what he says. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Now he's asking a rhetorical. He said, he said, which one of the angels have I ever said you're my son? And the question is none. Because he said, I never called a son of an angel. He said, For unto which of the angels said they, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. He said, I've never said that to an angel. Because he's saying, only Jesus Christ. Verse 6, And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, and then all the angels of God worship him. Look at verse number 7. And of the angels he saith, look what it says, who maketh his angels, do you see the next word? Spirits. Do you see that? It says, who maketh his angels spirits, and his ministers a flame of fire. Skip down to verse number 13, same chapter. Verse number 13, look what it says. But to which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand, until I make thine enemies thy footstool? Look at verse 14. Are they not all ministering spirits? Talking about angels. They're ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation. Do you see that? According to the Bible, God has never looked at an angel and said, You are my son. This day have I begotten you. Because Hebrews 1 is all about telling us how Jesus was made you know, was so much better than the angels. He said, and God was saying, I've never looked at an angel who says, my son. And in two verses we saw there, he said they were spirits. They're ministering spirits. He said, they're, they're, they, don't have, they, they don't have physical bodies, they're spirits. Go with me to Luke chapter number 24. Luke chapter number 24. Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke chapter number 24. Do you remember when the Lord Jesus Christ resurrected from the grave? Luke chapter number 24, and he appeared to his disciples in his glorified body. Luke chapter number 24, look at verse number 36. Luke chapter number 24, and look at verse number 36. The Bible says, And as they thus spake, this is Jesus appearing to His disciples after His resurrection. And the Bible says, And as they thus spake, Jesus Himself stood in the midst of them, and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted, and supposed that they had seen a spirit. So the last time they saw Jesus, He was dead. And now here he is, he appears, he just appears before them. And they're like, whoa, you know, they're scared, and is this a spirit? Look at verse 38. And he said unto them, why are you troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold, my hands and my feet, it is I myself, handle me and see. Look what he says. For a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. Do you see that? Jesus said, hey... I'm not a spirit. A spirit doesn't have flesh and bones like you see me have. In other passages, he said, handle me. He said, touch my hands and put your, hand, your, your fingers through the hole, through the prints of my hand and through my side. He said, hey, I've got flesh. I've got bones. I'm not a spirit. It's actually me, Jesus Christ. What does that tell us though? Spirits don't have flesh and bones. And the Bible tells us very clearly that angels are spirits. 
And here's the other part. Go with me to Matthew chapter number 22. Remember how, remember how in Genesis 6 it says the sons of God, and they tell us, well, the sons of God, those are angels. And it says that the sons of God saw the daughters of man, that they were fair, and they took unto them wives. Do you remember how it said that? Well, look at Genesis chapter number 22. Look at verse number 30. They asked Jesus a question about the resurrection, about whether or not believers will be married in the resurrection. And in verse 30, he says, for in the resurrection, Matthew chapter 22, verse 30, he says, for in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. Do you see that? So Jesus Christ said, hey, in heaven, in the resurrection, you're not going to be married, you're not going to be given in marriage, you're going to be like the angels that are not married, they're not we're told that the sons of God who are never referred to as, as, as angels who the Bible specifically tells us angels are never referred to as the sons of God we're supposed to believe that they married women and they had Hercules or something it's ridiculous you say how do people get away with this type of doctrine here's how they get away with it they don't read their Bibles number one problem with most churches and false doctrine and false beliefs you say how do they come up with these weird things angels had children with babies Sin and make a mistake doesn't mean God's done with you. 
God told Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. I don't want you going there. I don't want you to testify to the Jews. The time's not right. Don't do it. Paul says, I'm going to do it anyway. He gets there, and then God says, well, you know, the same way you testified to me in Jerusalem, I'm going to have you testify to me in Rome. But the difference is Paul, because Paul already had plans to go to Rome. If you remember in the book of Romans, which was written before this event in the Bible, he had said, you know, I want to go to Rome, and I'm going to go to Spain, and I'm going to see you in Rome. But here's the difference, Paul, because of your, you know, just hard-hearted and, and hard-headed attitude, before you were going to go to Rome and Spain as a free man, now you're going to go to Rome, not Spain, in bonds. So you will reap what you sow, but just because you sin doesn't mean your life's over and God can never use you. Just because you make a mistake, because you do something wrong, because you sin against God, because you disobey God's word, God, you know, He's got His perfect will, but He'll rearrange those wills as we make mistakes. So he's not just dumb. He's not just going to throw you off and say, okay, Paul, I'm never using you again. He says, okay, Paul, you've testified for me in Rome, in Jerusalem. I'm going to have you testify for me in Rome. Look at verse 11 again. And the night following, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou also bear witness also at Rome. Now I want you to notice something. God said to Paul, You're going to Rome, Paul. Look at verse 12. And when it was day, soon the Jews banded together and bound themselves under a curse, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. And they were more than 40 which had made this conspiracy. Isn't that crazy? 40 grown men. Could you imagine having 40 grown men make a vow that they will not eat or drink until they killed you? That's scary. But here's 14. And they came to the chief priests and elders and said, We have bound ourselves under a great curse that we will eat nothing until we have slain Paul. Now therefore... Now, now, therefore, ye with the council signified to the chief captains that he bring him down unto you tomorrow, as though ye would inquire something more perfectly concerning him, and we, or ever he come near, are ready to kill him. So they go to the chief priest, and look, by the way, this shows you the chief priest and those guys in the council, they're corrupt. They didn't say to these people, hey, wait a minute, that's wrong. We're, we're going to, you know, we're going to just do this by the law, and we'll convict him, and, and you'll get punished. They're like, okay. Okay, yeah, we'll tell him we want a we want a uh, second trial, or we want to you know bring him down again and talk to him. And when he comes down, you guys kill him. Look at verse sixteen. And when Paul's sister's son, so this is Paul's nephew, heard of their lying in wait, because remember they're in Jerusalem. This is where Paul grew up, so he's got family there. And when Paul's sister's son heard of their lying in wait, he went and entered into the castle and told Paul. So his nephew has some sort of connections. He heard about this. And he goes to the castle. He tells Paul. Then Paul, verse 17, called one of the centurions unto him and said, Bring this young man unto the chief captain, for he hath a certain thing to tell him. For he took him and brought him to the chief captain and said, Paul the prisoner called me unto him and prayed me to bring this young man unto thee who hath something to say unto thee. Then the chief captain took him by the hand and went with him aside privately and asked him, What is that thou hast to tell me? And he said, The Jews have agreed to desire thee that thou wouldest bring down Paul tomorrow into the council as though they would inquire somewhat of him more perfectly. But do not thou yield unto them. For there lie in wait for him of them more than forty men which have bound themselves with an oath that they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they... Are they ready, looking for a promise for thee? So the young man tells, tells him, hey, this is what's going on. There he says, more than 40. I mean, can you even understand that? 40, we're not talking about kids, we're not talking about 40 grown men who said, I don't know about you, but I've been around some of these guys around here and they get hungry. 
And these guys are probably going to get hungry soon. I mean, how far, you, you, you can only go like a week without drinking water. You know, you can go probably a little bit over 40 days without eating. But these people said, I'm not going to eat or drink until we killed Paul. Forty Over 40 men said this. And that looks bad. But, see, everything in the Bible is in the Bible for a reason and it's perfect. Before we started reading about the conspiracy in verse 12, what did we read in verse 11? God said, Paul, you're going to Rome. Do you see that? Paul said, God said, Paul, you're going to Rome. And the very next verse we found out, 40 men are going to make sure Paul dies tomorrow. But let me tell you something. 40 grown men vowing to kill you. Sounds scary, but if God says you're going to Rome, guess what? You're going to Rome. And in verse number uh, 22, look at what it says. So the chief captain then let the young men depart and charged him, See thou tell no man, but thou hast showed these things to me. And look what he says. Look, look what happens. Verse 23. And he called unto him to centurion, saying, Make ready 200 soldiers. So he gets 200 soldiers to go to Caesarea, and horsemen three score and ten. Score is 20. Three score is 60. Plus 10. That's 70 horsemen. And spearmen 200. So he got 200 spearsmen, 200 foot soldiers, 70 horsemen, and he said, at the third hour of the night, that's 9 p.m., he said, get all these people ready. And at 9 p.m., look at verse 24, and provide them beasts that they may set Paul on and bring him safe unto Felix the governor. And he wrote a letter after this matter, Claudius, and then he, well, we're not going to read the letter, we'll, we'll get into that next week, but, but he sends him off to Felix. To, to in safety. And here's what I want you to understand. These people probably thought, four, we got over 40 men. I mean, we're rolling deep. That's what they would say. I mean, we got 40 men. We're going to kill Paul. Let me tell you something. God's word will always stand firm. And if God says, Paul, you're going to Rome, you could have 40 men, you could have 400 men. God's going to make sure you get to where he wants you to be. And the funny thing is, when you read this, if you've never read the story before, you're like, wow, 40 men? But then when you realize how many soldiers he's got, he's got 200 uh, foot soldiers, 200 spearsmen, 70 on horse. You know, he's got 470, almost 500 soldiers to protect one man against 40 people. See, in comparison, God's power is so much bigger. It reminds me of the story of Elisha in the Old Testament. Remember the story of Elisha, where his, his, the, 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 the armies were coming to destroy him, and his servant there, he got all scared. He said, Elisha, what are we going to do? All these armies, remember, they came all around their house, and they are going to destroy him. And Elisha said, you know, he prayed that God would allow him to see. And he opened his eyes, and he saw all the hundreds of thousands of angels that were protecting him. And he said, man, God's bigger than this little army. God's bigger than this little problem. And 40 grown men vowing to kill you, man, that sounds impressive. But when God's in control, you don't have to worry about anything. Amen. You know, that's a beautiful picture there. That God, the, the Lord told Paul, you're not going to die in Jerusalem, you're going to Rome. And Paul never had to worry about it again. I, I don't believe Paul lost a wink of sleep. Because he said, you know, God's word will always come to pass. And, and 40 sounds impressive, but 470... That's way more impressive. God's always more powerful. God's always more in control. God always knows what's going on. So let's go ahead and bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you Lord so much for church. And thank you for allowing us to be able to have this uh, Bible study. And Lord, I, I just uh, love studying your scriptures and going through verse by verse and, and digging all the, the truths out of there. And I hope that we would learn from your Bible, Father. We love you. In your precious name I pray. Amen.